So as real estate investors, funding your deals is by far one of the biggest challenges we all face, especially when you're getting into flipping, rehabbing, building homes, rentals, everything. And one of the options out there is hard money lending. This is the option that's available to pretty much everybody starting, but nobody truly understands all of the hidden thin things that are involved in hard money lending and borrowing hard money. And there's so many things involved. This is why we've actually stayed away from it. But I wanted to understand it much better, which is why I have brought on for Tips for the Pros a very special guest, Austin Laney. And he was a hard money lender. He worked for a hard money lending company for many years has some experience in it and he no longer works there which is why i wanted to have him on the show because we can get the real scoop on all this so with that being said i'd like to welcome austin laney to the show sir thank you for having me man i'm really glad to be here yeah it's it's man it's one of those things that i don't really think anybody understands how it works personally I think no. even I think even people that have m had multiple loans don't even know how it works technically because what happens in the hard money space you need to understand this we're actually about to close on one next my with my guys uh same my old boss Aiden um the clock's ticking at all times and mm -hmm. the problem is once you get everything approved and you go from appraisal you can close within 24 so it's bam bam right. and, and it happens and so what I hope to do today is kind of just debunk some of the myths and really explain to you what they're looking for, how to use it properly, and then what to stay. Right. And that, that's, you know, I use private money. We, we've been fortunate enough to be able to build great connections and, and friendships with private investors and all that. But people think that I'm against hard money and I'm not. But at the same time, I'm not fully in favor of it because every time I meet a hard money company, there's always, you know, the pitch is always amazing until you start actually digging in and then the salesperson starts getting a little tongue tied because yeah. of all the extra stuff in there. And that's what, you know, kind of has always pulled me away. And I've seen a lot of people get into hard money loans and they've gotten in over their head, you know, and they're not realizing how much profit you need in the deal for a hard money loan to even make sense, right? They think that just because they have a decent deal that, all right, I'll get hard money. And then you realize how much that hard money ends up costing you, especially if you're taking too much time and all of this. And next thing you know, you're probably not making anything when you're done with the deal. So, you know, those are all the, all the things that I want to make sure that we can cover. But I like starting all the interviews the same way. Why real estate investing for you? What got you in here? You know, we were talking about this yesterday with a couple of multifamily investors on our other podcast. At the end of the day, people need to understand it. And I like business. Like I'm a, like, I like business, but real estate is a, is a vehicle by reading rich dad, poor dad, that I, that I can wrap my hands around. And I really think for the average consumer, it's something that done properly, you can tangible understanding. And then plus in a business sense, you can get your hands on it. And when you get your hands on it, you understand that people, it's a, it's a basic need, right? But it also can be used as a vehicle done properly. And one of the things that people don't understand is that leverage is a great thing if you know how to use it. 
Mm. And there's a, too many people out there trying to post on social media and say, I did this and I did that instead of properly. You know what's interesting? I, re I read a book. It's one of my favorite books called Slight Edge. And he talks about how he was sitting on the porch one day and he was talking to his mom and she had been retired. She was just a superintendent at like a church or like a, like a high school, 30, 40. And he was talking about like, hey, you know, I, 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 you know, my company's worth this and everything. And did this and mom goes, yeah, I'm a millionaire. He was like, he goes, what are you talking about? He goes, yeah, I got a couple million in the bank. Like, I don't, I don't understand. What are, you, what are you talking about? You've driven the same car, been in the same house for 40 years. Yeah, I'm a millionaire. I've saved money. And I'm not saying the save money is the route, but what I'm saying is that not everything to get wealth has to be saved. And we've become the society of, yes, 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 more, 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 instead of organically growing your business, scaling up properly and done the right way. And every time I look at an investment or every time I'm going to get into something, remember, that every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something. And so I really look at what that's going to do to my lifestyle and does it fit in with our core values and where we're headed? And if it does, then we put it in the box. If it doesn't, got to walk away from it. And I mean, you make a very valid point. And I think where you touch in on the last part is your core values. And I think a lot of people, when they get into real estate investing, they don't have any core values. They're getting into it because they're chasing that money. And that is one thing that I noticed with a lot of investors time and time again. And I use this metaphor of like, they're, they're buying into the sizzle and not the quality of the steak, right? And I always give the same analogy of when you go to a restaurant and you see them coming out with that hot plate and it's sizzling with the steak and you, you hear it and you smell it and your mouth starts watering and you're like, oh, I want that. And yes, that all sounds great. But my thought process, because I like my steak medium rare. I'm like, by the time that steak gets to my, to my table, that shit is overcooked. You understand? I don't want the sizzle. Put my steak on a regular plate and bring me the steak I ordered. You understand? I'm more interested in that quality. And, but the problem is that it's not sexy. You know, and we see this time and time again in real estate is that people are going for the sexy. They're going for, you know, oh, I'm flipping a historic home. I'm putting subway tiles everywhere. I'm doing this. And because they're so new and they're so green, their only option is to get hard money. And right now with how hot the market is, I'm seeing hard money lenders. I'm starting to see them get into trouble. I'm starting to see hard money lenders lend to investors that know nothing about real estate investing. They know nothing about managing a rehab, doing any of these things, yet they're lending to them, you know? And when I first started, hard money lenders, the way they were pitched to me was, if you don't know what you're doing, you would want to go to a hard money lender because they're going to vet the deal for you, you know? And they're not going to let you get into something bad because they don't want the property back. And I was like, wow, that's, that's actually genius. That's very good. But it seems like they've gotten away from that model. It's, so, I mean, what have you seen let, in that? Let me... Uh, let me kind of just check some boxes on the hard money. What you're looking for, mm -hmm. credit score, experience, and a track record. That's what they lend off of. Obviously, you have funds to cover a down payment. Right. But, but typically, like, I'll walk you through what we're doing right now. We're, we're using the construction company uh, of my business partner who has a great credit score for 800 over, got 20 plus years of construction. You know, what's going to happen in that payment structure and your, your rate structure, the more experience you have, 
better the credit score, the better the term. Mm. Like if you're, let's say you're a 650 credit score and you have no experience, you're going to get the highest term. Not a question. Like it's, it's going to happen. There's, there's boxes that are put in where, and, and then as you do deals with the hard money guy, the terms get better and better. Right. And what people don't understand is this is private money. It doesn't matter if it's hard money, it's private money. So this doesn't go on your credit report. Okay. And the reason that's a problem is because it doesn't go on your credit report. That same investor can go to seven different hard money guys and pull money and it won't show up. And that's where people get in trouble because it's like an endless piggy bank where I just go, I go to the next hard money lender. I'll go to the next hard money. And, and you're right. Nine times out of 10, the hard money guy is going to tell you this ain't a deal. Because what's interesting about a hard money that's different than uh, a regular transaction is the appraisal happens before you close, which is doesn't happen in any other type of real estate. So like we have a deal. We've given them all the numbers. We know what we're buying it for. We think we know what we can get. And guess what? It doesn't mean anything. Because right. the appraiser has to come out beforehand, five days before we close, tell us if we're right or not. And if, he's, if he doesn't like what he sees, there's no deal. And everybody doesn't get anything. And so at the end of the day, there are checks and balances put in place in these systems where you can't buy or execute real estate with your... These are people <laughs> that don't want to lose their money. But I'm going to let you in on a secret... Behind the secret. So let's say your hard money lender is, 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 is lending you the money for like, let's say 11%, right? Let's, I won't use the points yet. I'll explain that later. Let's say they're lending you the money for 11%. I would venture to guess that 90% of them have borrowed that money at six from somebody else, like, you know, a Blackstone or an or a institutional fund, 5%, 6%, 7%. So that money is lended twice before it touches you. And so that's why those rates are what they are, because they have to make their gap, but what they're lending it for and whatever. So if the, just like when COVID hit, yeah. if the secondary market of funds, which is Blackstone, you know, these hedge funds, stop lending, then your hard money guy has no access to capital, per se. Mm -hmm. Not all the time, but most of the time. And so that's why you see the spike in the rates, because they might be lending their own capital that's in-house, which that has a different value proposition against lending. Right. And then you have points. So what points are is basically front-end loaded uh, fees that you're paying to originate the loan. So a lot of terms when we weren't in COVID were 10% at one point. You'll pay that up front. That's to get the loan. Um, same thing. And, and typically what you're seeing in a, in, a, in a fix and flip, depending on the price point, is some of these guys can give you up to only 5% down. Yeah. And, but typically I like to stay around 10%. Um, cause that gives you a little room in the deal to wiggle where you've got your own cash into it. a hard money guy is wants to see that you have a little skin in the game too. We get nervous when you don't have any money in it. Like, and, 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 and there's a strategy that not a lot of people know. And I didn't even know till I started working there. A lot of these land developers, cause we lended to new construction, small development, um, which is, rare in tech, all three of them. What's very interesting is let's say that you and your brother own a uh, million dollars worth of uh, acreage. Let's say you've owned it for 10 years. Let's say you bought it for, we'll just use easy numbers. Let's say you bought it for 200,000 and you bought it 10 years. And let's say that property's worth 400,000. We'll give you the value of that property 
So your 400K that you've already paid in, let's say you paid off the land, goes down as collateral on your mm -hmm. building. So you might actually have new construction financing for not putting any money in. Right. And so we're using the collateral of that land. Now, here's the deal. It has to, has to be seasoned for two years mm. for us to give you the now value. Beforehand, we just give you the value of what you paid for it. On top of that, what people don't understand is now we'll even, let's say you have extra money in the deal, even finance your interest payments per month mm -hmm. with the 400K. So not only will you not put any money in the deal to do construction, we'll also use the financing to pay your monthly thing. So if these guys are quick enough, which right. typically they are, in six to eight months and get out of the loan, they could literally build millions of dollars of real estate without ever putting a dollar out of the cash. And wow. that's what not a lot of people know. Well, I mean, a lot of things seem to need to line up for that to, ha to sure. be able to have the collateral, to be able to get that. And I mean, I think that's an excellent product to have access to. But the, you mentioned a lot of things that I actually want to dissect a mm -hmm. little bit further. So one of the parts is you talk how important it is, and this is something that people don't understand, how important it is where the hard money lender gets their money. Because like you said, you know, something happens if they're getting it from private individuals and or small institutions, and then something happens and then they start calling their money back. Now the hard money lenders in real trouble, yeah. right? Because they have all their money deployed on investments and now they're being called on, you know, now your abil uh, ability to pretty much build or buy a home or finance a rehab went away. And you're building this reputation, you're building this credibility with a hard money lender so you can be able to get lower, more favorable terms. And all of a sudden, they start getting into trouble. They're getting tapped out. So is there a question or is there a response from a hard money lender that would be something that you would feel more comfortable with as far as where do they get their funds from? Like, do they, does it benefit you that they get it from an institution from private individuals? Like, what do you think it's more secure, more? I think institutional funding is probably more secure in the long run, for sure. But at the end of the day, I would do a little homework on the track record of that. Look, if it's a hard money lender and his name's Bob and, it, and he like does it out of his truck, that can happen. It does happen. Yeah. I'm not saying it can't. But, you know, hey, ask them, hey, is there any other builders or investors that y'all lend to in the area? Then go and talk to those people. Hey, how long have you been getting money from these? Have, have it worked? You know, do they have paperwork? Is it, you know, is the process feel smooth? Does it feel organized, right? If it doesn't feel organized, then I would probably run the other way, right? And, and what you're alluding to in the beginning is the, right. like, there's, you know, a lot of times people get caught with the end. So you really, and when I say the really, I would say that one of the most important things you need to do is say, I need a piece of paper to give me a basic breakdown, let's say it's an example loan of exactly what I'm Because you know what's interesting about people that flip houses? What they don't realize, the most expensive part of flipping a house? <laughs> because we don't understand that it costs closing and realtor fees. Yeah. Same way in a hard money loan. If you don't understand what you're doing up front, how could you possibly know what's going to happen in the back? So understand that the actual most expensive part of investing is selling said asset. And if you can use it, remember that every day you're on it, timeline, you're clicking, ticking, 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 ticking. But 
you know, and we'll share later on, there's many interesting strategies that I saw when I was there to use bridge loans or, or real estate, because ultimately at the end of the day, if you know in your heart of hearts that it's a deal, controlling the asset is the most important part. So if you have to use hard money for six months and there's enough room in the deal, then make sure that you secure the deal in any way necessary. And how you do that from a, from a point of view to be ready to buy an asset, is there a pre-approval process, hard money loan, where you give them your, your LLC, you know, you give them um, your, your, your credit score, give them your experience, and they're going to they're gonna pre-approve you. So once they pre-approve you, then they're going to send you a list of documents they would need if you were to sign uh, up a property. So if you think that you're going to get in, you need hard money, then it might, because that, that approval holds for like a year or six months, it would be best to go ahead and get that out of the way. You can move quicker uh, mm. in the process. And if you're, if you're saying to yourself right now, holy crap, this is some good information. You know, I, this is stuff that I just, I didn't, I didn't even know was available. I'm learning some amazing strategies. Then all I ask from you is just shoot on over to an investor's journey on YouTube, find this video and just give it a little thumbs up. You know, I'll put the link in the description just so it's one click, like, and you're done. How much easier can that be, right? Just give me some support. Show me some love. That's all I ask from you. And I will keep putting out this amazing content. So show me some love and enjoy the rest of the show. So let's, let's talk about that, the qualification process. Because you said, you know, you need, a, a, the better the credit score, the better the terms are going to be. But yet... I've seen hard money lenders or, I mean, that's also the thing, right? There's hard money lenders popping up like weeds, right? I mean, just these people that used to be investors, all of a sudden are all hard money lenders. And I was like, you're a terrible investor. How the hell are you a hard money lender now? You know, so it's fine, but you know, they're popping up everywhere. So, and they're saying your credit does not matter. We only invest it. We'll lend you solely based on the asset. But then you talked about the investor's experience. So how do you justify their experience? What is it that, you know, the company, and I don't know if you want to disclose who it is that you were working for, but the company you work for, and them, how is it that you judge somebody's experience? They like to see HUDs. So, okay. so, they, so, so like, hey, you flipped three houses. We want to see that you executed that fully. So give us three HUDs. So give us three contracts that you, that you started and finished and sold a home don't have those it's okay you can still get a loan but yeah. the terms might not be as favorable but, but we're looking at huds and then we're looking at profits and law profit and loss statements company let's say you're flipping out of your LLC. Mm -hmm. you'd like to see a profit and loss and, and these are the ways or you know what's interesting what we've done before is let's say you're an investor and you're new let's mm -hmm. say you're new like you've never done it before but it just so happens that you have an amazing uncle who yeah. has been in the business 20 years will underwrite the uncle so you can piggyback on the uncle's experience and his HUDs and his things, and you can get the favorable discounts if your GC has been in the game for 30 So he's, they become he's the be co-signer. Now, he, now here's the deal though. If he, he's gotta be in more than 10% of the LLC. So you might have to rewrite your LLC for this, okay. but as long as you and him work out a deal, you, we can underwrite his experience. In yeah, you can't just say, oh, I know my uncle. Like, he needs to be a part of the deal, and there needs to be yeah. documented proof yeah. that he's a part of that deal. Yeah, but it can happen, yes. I've seen it many times. Well, I mean, and that kind of reinforces the thing that I talk about consistently about partnering. 
You know, th this is not a solo game, investing in everything, and especially when you don't know what the hell you're doing, you want to partner. And when you partner with somebody that has the experience, I mean, that that's another huge benefit that, you know, you could get more favorable rates based on that. So you're looking at their HUDs, and the HUD, for those of you that don't know, is the document that gets created when you close a deal. When you bought it, you renovated it, you sold it, you get a HUD, and it shows all the numbers, everything on there. So you're showing the HUDs, you're showing your credit score. Now, what is it something that as the investor that you want to ask your hard money lender to make sure that you're having, because again, you're having all these hard money lending companies are popping up left and right. They approach me consistently because, oh, we'll fund this deal, we'll fund that deal. And they throw numbers at me and the numbers sound way too good to be true, right? And I do attribute that to the fact that, yes, we have a lot of experience, but it's also they're so new that they're trying to build their clientele. And I don't know if I want their clientele built on my back because then it's like, I don't know your credibility, though. Yeah. You know, and I'm, you know, buying a house, renovating it, as many people look at it as a game, it's a real business. You're talking about real money. Well, you know, prime example. I'll just use me for an example. We secured a deal uh, before I left for Costa Rica. I was gone. We had the inspection the day after I got back. My business partners are civil engineers. They've been in the game a long time. We agreed to a, pro a deal. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. This was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. The wholesaler was a friend of mine who lived out of state, who secured the deal, got a good deal. Uh, he never saw the property. He just saw pictures. I went into the inspection, and it was like, it was bad. Like, like I knew it was bad, but like it was worse. It was worse. And like our budget and guys, if I didn't get the inspection, which only cost 500 bucks, which a lot of people don't do, which I don't understand. That's a whole nother <laughs> conversation. Um, our, our construction budget remodel went from 60 to 120 grand. doubled. Now, if you wouldn't have got the inspection and you wouldn't have seen it beforehand and you would have just closed on the deal, yeah. you'd have been ass out on that thing. But instead... I went back to my buddy and I negotiated $65,000 off the deal. Wow. Because of my inspection report. So my yeah. 600 bucks saved me $65,000 and now it's a slam dunk. Yeah. Right? Wow. A lot of people wouldn't do that because they're so excited to have the deal, you know? And so you have to understand that whatever you, ha I'll give you a little piece of advice. Whatever you think it's going to cost, it's going to cost more. <laughs> However quick you think you're going to do it, it's going to cost more. Yeah. And, I, and me and John only say that from experience. I've broken apart 1910 homes, yeah. rebuilt stuff I didn't know I had to rebuild. And what I'm saying is there are checks and balances in place within the real estate system that somehow these human beings, this month especially in this year, have forgot are in place for a fucking reason. Yeah, And there's inspection reports and property managers and GCs and hard money lenders that should be doing their job to say, hold, hold on. Yeah. And that's why I love Aiden, because Aiden's like, well, hold, hold on. Let, let's make sure that this is dialed in properly. And I love that about him because you can't let your excitement of the deal blind you to the deal. And mm. you need to make sure that you are double checking. True story, separate conversation, but very true story. We found a deal, RV park, uh, uh, mobile home, or cab, 14 cabins, you know, eight acres. I mean, Texas, Guadalupe. I mean, just, I mean, my dream property, I've thought about for five years. <laughs> Great deal. Numbers penciled out. I mean, everything looked amazing. And it happened quick. Oh my God, there's dudes flying in from California. 
Like we literally saw the property on Tuesday and we're going to spend, he was going to owner finance it. We were going to spend uh, like a million four, like the next day, like we were in, like the money was 250 was in. Like, I mean, we were like cheersing, like logos came up, like literally about to close at 12 o'clock. We found out at 10 o'clock that the wholesaler was fudging the financials and we look, and we looked back through their tax record. And do you know how much it hurt my buddy who was the owner of that deal and he was bringing me in? do that but he knew the moment that he signed on that deal he would have burned 300k mm. and he couldn't do it and you have to buy with the numbers you cannot buy with emotion because i've dreamed about that property my whole life and i was hurt for two days but at the end of the day it was the right business and you can't let these hard money guys these finance people pressure you in saying like hey we're going to give you 98 percent loan to value, meaning yeah. we're going to finance the whole deal. We're going to pay all the construction. Like, just do it. Yeah. At the end of the day, their name's not on the hook because they'll just take your property back. 100%. And so you have to make sure that you are asking the right questions and you slow down and you have somebody in your corner that's done this before. I'm not saying you can't go do it by yourself, but just make sure that you have a mentor or somebody in your circle that can vet out the deal and go, yeah, but what about this? Have you thought about this? What if you have to replace the AC? You know what they don't tell you? You know how much windows cost? Like, you know, you know <laughs> yeah. what I'm saying? Like, those are things that you don't think about. And yeah. you're like, man, dude. So like, and here's the great thing, guys. Something that you didn't know. To get your construction budget approved by a hard money lender, there's a spreadsheet they give you to fill out the construction budget. If mm. you don't, if you don't have items on there and they have it on there, you might want to double check. Right. Yeah, well, that, going back to it, that's what I found very valuable from a hard money loan is the checks and balances are put in place to make sure that you're not doing anything stupid. But, you know, going to what you said earlier is the biggest problem. As investors, we're always looking for um, motivated sellers, but we never pay attention that we're becoming motivated buyers. You know, we're becoming motivated buyers in this whole process. And I, I, a lot of the factor, I blame it on people's inability to accurately judge what they see on social media. So you go on social media and you see all of the hype, right? And it's one thing that I tell everybody is that people on social media, you're your own PR agency. You're never going to put bad shit about <laughs> all this dumb shit that you're probably doing. So you're only going to put all the good stuff. So you look at everybody and you're like, man, everybody's killing it. This person's killing it. That person's killing it. What the hell am I doing wrong? Yeah. You know? So then you start getting motivated and then you start second guessing the actual process. And then you start buying deals that you say, get an inspection. Oh, well, that's $500. You know, one of the things that we do a lot when they have foundation issues is we get an engineer's report beforehand, right? Because their foundations here are very weird. You know, sometimes the engineer comes out and they're like, yes, there is a slope, but the foundation is actually doing what it needs to do. And that, $400, $500 that we pay for the engineer saved us $10,000 of foundation work. So we do a lot of stuff and sometimes it, it shows us that it's like, no, this is actually going to be a much bigger problem than we anticipated and we are not going to buy this house. Yeah. You understand? We're just not going to go ahead and buy it because it's going to be a huge issue. So these are the things that we're trying to keep in mind as we move forward. But when you see all these motivated buyers, they're just, I got a deal. They accepted the contract and I got a hard money lender that's going to fund 98% of it. You know, I'm set. Well, what's interesting, because I'm a coach and because a lot of my friends are bigger in the business around the country, 
I get to see a lot of the inside of these businesses. And I'm going to let you in on a secret. Nobody's doing as good as you think they're doing and nobody's doing as bad as you think they're doing. There's a lot of wholesale companies out there that are spending 80 to 90K a month in, in marketing and they're only pocketing about 5%, 3%. But don't let them fool you. Yeah. What's your gross to net? That's all I, that I care about. What, like, what's your gross to net? And then you have a coaching client of mine yeah. who's a month in, he spent $160 on marketing and he made $60,000 in wholesale. Because he has, you know, he got a good deal, and he was walking with this kid. That's how he found the forty thousand dollar deal. He's like, "Oh, they they might want to sell." He just called him up. Walk through the process, take the steps necessary, and then use the tools that are put in the real estate business, meaning inspections, appraisals, to make sure that you're getting a deal. What's very interesting, right? And 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 money's different because you. You know what's interesting? That book I, I recommended to you, mm-hmm. he said that as a stockbroker, and I'll just use a stockbroker, you can't look at a short-term investor, like a short-term quick hit investor in the stock market, if you're a long-term guy and go, he doesn't know what he's doing. Right. You have no idea what he's doing. His, his money's different. And so mm-hmm. when these institutional funds come into Texas and they pay a one cap or a two cap, you can't look at them and go, they're crazy. If they're holding it for 30 years and they need a place to park their money, who cares? Right. Like it's the same way with other investors. You have no idea if he's got six other projects going on. And to be honest with you, that one really doesn't matter to him. It's just to keep his workers working. Like you got to understand the motivations of everybody. There's a lot of guys out there, if they're bigger players, that aren't so much care too much about the profit on every deal. They're more adept to keep their workers working because they can't lose them. Like people don't know that. Yeah. Like big companies, if they leave their guys off a project for a month, they'll never get them back. So they're right. just like, I got to keep my dudes happy and I got to keep them busy yep. because labor is actually the thing that's hurting the construction business the most right now. Yeah. yeah. Prices are crazy too. And lumber's crazy, but they can't get anybody. Right. And so you got to understand them. I love to study the motivation of people. Like you have mm-hmm. to, you have to get behind the, the thing. You can't just see everything on the surface. Do your homework, do a little digging, you know, read the tea leaves. One of my favorite things to do in the morning is I like to get up and, and I like to look at those local websites, you know, who's building what. I like to put my ear to the ground. Hey, man, have you heard any new projects coming in? Maybe it's an area I can sneak into, right? Mm-hmm. You, you are good at this. Know the developers, right? Yeah. Like know what's coming in. So like if you can, I like, like I've never had a ton of money. Mm-hmm. Like I like to stay five years ahead of everybody. Like if you're investing over there, where's the next area? Where, like, where's the next area that I can go? Like, in my opinion, if you look at San Antonio, um, you know, the east side got overinflated really quickly. But if you look at areas like Spring Branch and Bulverde, like, I mean, if you look at, if you can read the tea leaves five years from now, those are going to be amazing markets and you can still get it in at a good price, right? Right. And so you, you can't always go where the shiny objects are. You got to go where the numbers make sense. If that's If that means you live in San Antonio and you invest in Kansas, it doesn't matter. If the numbers make sense and you have somebody in that area, make sure you're doing your homework because, look, money people want to use their money. Who doesn't? Right. Right. Of course. So they're obviously going to pressure you, pressure you, pressure you. Like, hey, we need to spend our money because they have investors they have to answer. Right. But you make sure that you move on your terms. If you move on your terms, then then you don't get pressured. And and, and to be honest with you, it's one of the reasons I don't want to flip houses Mm -hmm. because I don't like being pressured. You know, what do they do, John? They, they, they send you over. I, 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 I would tell you a story right now. It's really going to get you pissed off. I'll say that for a minute. 
But the wholesaler sends you the deal, and then in five sec five minutes, they want you to. Are you going to put an offer in? Yeah. And I'm like, bro, like I haven't even took a breath yet, and like yeah. I have to go to my investors. Like it's it's a million dollars, but this is what they do, and then you feel obligated to like thing, and I, that's why I don't like buying flips because you're you're trying to buy the same house that twenty other people are buying. I don't like well, it. Well, and to what we were talking about earlier was you know, they're, they're so focused on the sizzle of everything. And then they're so focused on what everybody's doing. And they say, and I hear this from uh, investors that are looking to buy properties all the time. They're like, but the problem is that I, you know, by the time I go look at the property and I analyze it, it's already sold. And I go look at it and I analyze it and it's sold. So I just got to go ahead and buy it. I'm like, no, you still got to do your process. You understand? And I get it. It sucks, right? It sucks that you're losing these deals. And it's not that these people know something that you don't. I mean, maybe they do. But the majority of the people that I see that are buying are still losing their ass on those purchases. And they're taking massive risks. Because, yeah, maybe the deal did work out for them. But it wasn't an intelligent purchase. It was a risk that they took. It was a risk that they hoped there wasn't anything else hidden behind this. You understand? And that's something that a lot of people, oh, these wholesalers... The wholesalers could be trash, whatever you want, but you're the investor that needs to understand whether I get trashy deals all the time. It doesn't make me, you know, I don't go buy them. Yeah. You understand? And I can get a wholesaler bringing me a deal that they're like, oh man, this is a home run. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm still going to go look you know at it. You know what's interesting? The best deal that you ever get might be the one you don't buy. But yeah. Yeah. You know what my mentor told me? Break, break that down. Break that down. The, the best deal that you yeah. ever got is the deal that you don't buy. And what I mean by that is I'll tell you two things. My mentor told me this, and it's the truest thing in the world. Let's say a market cycles like this, right? Where it goes, there's a hill and it goes down and then there's a gully and then it goes back up. You think everybody loses their ass on the way down? They lose their ass on the plateau because they can't hang on. Mm. That's where everybody <laughs> picks up deals. And what's interesting is there's a guy out of Utah. His name is Aaron Wagner. He's a commercial developer. He's invested in 70 fucking businesses. Guy, I've never seen anybody that owns more businesses than this guy. He's an ex-football <laughs> player. He owns like 20 restaurants, truck shops. Like he's a big player. Nice. It was driving him crazy about all the rich families in America. Rockefellers, the Walton, like all these families. Yeah. That the only family that was still making money in the fourth generation was the Rockefellers. And he said, I don't understand. Like why? Why? Yeah. And so he interviewed all the families. He spent an entire weekend with the Rockefellers and he asked the grandson, great grandson, he said, why is your family making money? And he said, my grandfather taught me this lesson. Sell early. He was like, what? He said, sell or you have to. Because momentum is how you win in business. You mm -hmm. hanging on a little bit longer to catch that extra 20 grand and you lose 40 grand, it's going to put you back two years. You selling and taking the win is going to, because it's every week, every week, he said every week is the next best deal of your life. Yeah. It's, it's a compilation of many deals, not a home run on one deal. Right. Yeah. And I think it's, man, that, that's so powerful because people are always hoping that, ah, uh, but if I sell and it goes up more, you know, they're thinking about that. What if, and it's like, it, we're going back to what we talked about, your values aren't aligned. You, are, you don't have any goals. You don't have any metrics. You don't have any form of systems in place to help take that emotion, that what if question that we all have out of the way where it's like, it doesn't matter what the what if is. What matters is 
here are my metrics. This investment hit my metrics. Now it's time to liquidate and move somewhere else. Right. A lot of people, they, especially when the market got really hot and well, I mean, this is before it got this crazy. They're asking me, hey, you think the market is hitting a peak? Should I sell? I'm like, well, are you cash flowing? Yes. You have equity? Yes. Okay. So if you sell, where are you going to put that money? Yeah. Well, I don't know. And what the hell are you going to sell for? Yeah. Don't count other people's money. Yeah. Like if you, if you have an investment that's cash flowing, it's good, it's making you money. And you want to sell, like, what, what do you, if you take that money, you're going to get hit with taxes, with everything. Like, why don't you plan out your, what are you going to do with this money? Where are you going to move it? You know what's interesting? Bruce Peterson taught me a lesson, and it's probably a lesson that's changed my big syndicator out of Austin, the 1,100 units, bought and sold north of 3,000. Mm -hmm. uh, he said, I just sold a 256 unit, and I'm, and I'm upset. What? Mm. He goes, you have to understand, awesome. Did I get a big liquidation? But you know what I lost? 9,000 a month. I have to replace the 9,000. I go, but wait, you just made like 400K. And he goes, I know that 400K only lasts so long. 9,000 keeps me alive. And I went, holy shit. It's not about the big windfall. It's about that cash flow that is the lifeblood of your business. Not having that every month that eats into it. He's like, I got to go back and buy another asset to replace it. And what you have to understand about what's happening in the market right now in Texas, and this is on a deep level from a financial position, the both coasts are repositioning debt. Mm -hmm. If anybody doesn't know what that is, let's say that you're, you have a million dollars in, in, in multiple properties on the West Coast. Let's just say it's in grid, but that would be one property. But, but, yeah. but let's say you had $5 million. The risk tolerance on that five million, you might have a rate of five percent or four percent, and the risk tolerance is the the economy's not stable, the the population is going down. I don't feel good about my money in 20, 20 year cycles. That so what we're doing is we're moving that debt into assets within the Midwest or Texas because we feel stronger about the twenty year longevity of that debt. We're going to be able to buy more assets, better cash flow at a lower interest rate. Right. And that's what repositioning debt is. And that's why you're seeing a massive influx of businesses and capital coming into Texas because they're seeing that Texas is staying open during COVID, same thing with Florida. They're seeing that Texas is more business friendly and there's more space. And so if you, you're looking at everything in three months uh, mm -hmm. sections, the economy is looking at everything in 30 to 40 year sections. So you better become very education on financing and realizing what's actually happening in the U.S. economy, when people go to Zoom calls and business and, 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 and offices close, if people can work from anywhere, then why the hell would they pay thirty-five hundred bucks a month to live in San Francisco in, in a studio? No, they're going to come and they're going to buy. They're going to they're going to park. So, so, and more importantly, think about it this way: rich people don't want their money in banks. They don't trust banks, right. and the banks can take that money. And so, where do they put their money? Hard assets. Mm -hmm. Well, that's where their money lies because it, it actually holds intrinsic value and it can go up. And so you have to understand the game behind the game. You can't just be out there flipping houses and you got to understand that flipping houses is basically timing the market. That's all you're doing mm -hmm. is like timing the market. And, and there's a lot of people, as my buddy would say, big in stock market, a lot of people who jumped off a building 
and they were betting on appreciation in 2008. Mm-hmm. But all those people that were betting on cash flow, that nothing happened to them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's gotten so speculative and, you know, it, it's stuff that I see so many times. And this is why hard money loans scare me so much. It scared me for other people using them because of the amount of risk that you're taking on with virtually no experience. And just because you found a hard money lender that is as desperate as you are to fund the deal, you know, that you are to buy the deal. And it's when you're putting those things together, it's creating the perfect storm of the worst investment possible, you know? And that's something that I, I, what I hope to do always with our podcast is educate people more and more on how to invest in real estate the right way, right? It's like, be smart, think long-term. I mean, we do every Friday morning, we do Coffee with the Johns. And the purpose of Coffee with the Johns is that we read all the policies that are coming in. I do the same thing that you do. You know, I look at the tea leaves. I look at what's where's construction going? Where are the trends heading? Where are people, where's the money flowing to? Why is it flowing there? Because it's one of the things that I try to tell people. And to your point, don't time the market. And uh, this uh, big stock investor, Rick Edelman, he says, it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market, right? And I see this all the times with wholesalers and with flippers that they're so short-sighted and they don't work on building systems. They don't work on building relationships because, I mean, one thing that's kept us in business all these years has been our relationship. And this is the people that we know, the people that know us, the people that trust us, that we are able to borrow money from, that we're able to partner with, that we're able to do deals with. It's been those relationships that keeps us growing and why I'm not worried about anything that comes down the line because I have enough friendships and relationships. It's like, hey, what can we do? How can we work together? How can I bring you value? How can we do something? But when you're so narrow-sighted and you're focused on that next big paycheck, you know, I mean, you're, you're risking your future for a short-term profit. There's deals that I'm working on right now that literally might not see the fruits for five years. And when they do see the fruits, it's like, holy banana balls, that's a lot of money. Right. What's interesting about the guy that we're pitching tomorrow is I asked his broker who we, like, I, I was like, I want to get under the hood. Like, like, how do you offend, like, like what makes this guy not want to work with you? And she goes, don't get greedy. He is 100% comfortable with taking risks. He's 100% comfortable betting on people. The moment he feels like you don't respect that or you're getting greedy or you're taking advantage of him, he's gone. And when he's gone, he's taking a lot of people with him. And what people mm-hmm. don't understand is, this is something that took me 38 years to understand. And I, I, I want to get this point across. My investing just in we don't need to focus on other people to sell to with a product that we're bringing out in the construction space we only need to focus on one person the guy buying what i mean by that is he is extremely wealthy and a great entrepreneur and guess who he hangs out with other other successful wealthy. entrepreneurs that want to do the same thing so if we go out and put 100 percent focus in delivering for him and executing on what he needs it's all done yeah. But too many times we're chasing the wrong rabbit. We're chasing the wrong market. We did this. We did this for the first month. We're trying to look at this market and this market and this market. We said, no, 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 no. Texas is where the numbers make sense for the first couple. Let's just go there. Let's execute for this one client. Let's shut out the noise. 
And then I promise you the rest will take place, but that takes discipline. It takes <laughs> discipline because we want to jump on this shiny object. And I want to show mm -hmm. people like, look at me, I'm a construction builder, but all we, but the rest, what I always do, and this is a, then this is a, this is the trick. I, I probably the hardest thing I work on. You can vision out everything, mm -hmm. and, but this is the question I ask myself. What can I do today that's going to move the needle? Not tomorrow, not the next day. What, can, what action can I take today that's going to get me moving forward one day at a time on this thing that I need to do? Yeah, we can talk about what if, what if the company built 1,000 homes next year? Yeah, we can talk about that. I got a great idea. How about we put a fucking shovel in the ground first, right. build some houses, prove the model, and then we go talk about what we're going to go do. Yeah. And, and, and that's, it, dude, it's taken loss of money. It's taken loss of ego. It's, ta it's taken a lot of stuff. But those principles taken in your business, you're going to win day in and day out with those. And, and, you know, to that point, I mean, it's very easy to get ahead of yourself because especially when you're, you know, I consider myself a big dreamer. Like, I'm always in the future. I'm always thinking so much bigger than what is currently happening. Like, it's just, I don't know, it's fun for me. But then I have to rein myself back in into today. And there's, you know, there's a lot of times that, I've, especially with our money lenders, we have a couple million dollars worth of private money loans and everything available. And I'm already, I want to jump 10 steps ahead to what I ultimately want to build with them. Yeah. But I know there's a process to get there. It's like, I got to build the report. I got to build the trust with them. I got to build the credibility. I got to show them that, you know, I got to, I got to do this whole thing first, set up the whole business first before I can move to that piece. Because if I move to that piece too early, I try to close it on that too soon. I'll scare the shit out of them yep. because I haven't built all that up yet. You know, so now it's like, whoa, all right. You know, yeah, we were just going we to do this. Talking, yeah, we were just talking about here. You know, what's yeah. interesting. Two things. One of my favorite sayings, you have to get married to the process and divorce from the married to the process, wow. divorce from the results. Wow. And here's the deal. You can't give everybody the full cookie, right? That's my, that's my little joke. I like, dude, you know, when you meet that like big time investor and like Austin's got like the Airbnb business, he's got the podcast, he's got his coaching business. He's got his construction company. He's got a property management company. You want to just tell everybody everything you're doing. Yeah. You don't need to. Yep. And so now I say, what conversation can I have with this guy and what business does he actually want to be involved in? And I only talk about that. And that took me 38 years to realize that not everybody wants to hear the fucking whole story. 100%. And more importantly, they don't need to hear about my drug addiction. They don't need to hear about any of that shit because they don't give a shit. All right. What are you going to do today that's going to put money in my pocket, add value to me? Okay, it's the construction business. Boom, done. I don't, he doesn't want to hear about Airbnb. Right. Can we talk about that he wants Airbnbs everywhere. I already know he does. We don't need to talk about that right now. Exactly. And we just need to talk about what's going to matter today. And that when you get around, you know what, you know, his wife told me his wife's in business with me too on a separate, like the affiliate marketing. And I was like, thanking her. I was like, Hey, you know, like, thank you for your time. And like, this awesome. She's like, I don't care. I was like, what? She's like, how about you congratulate me in six years when we're sitting on a yacht somewhere and we're laughing about everything. That's when I want you to congratulate me. That's when I realized I was hanging around different humans. They're, they're so locked into the process that they don't care about the outcome because they know the outcome will be a byproduct of their daily action. Mm -hmm. it. No, and, and I mean, it's, it's difficult, though, for a lot of people. I mean, one of the objections I get all the time, and I'm going to throw it your way for you to respond to this, is 
it's easy for you to say, but I'm broke. I need to make, I need to eat, I need to live. So yeah, I would love to think about, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, but what the fuck do I do right now when I'm hungry, right? I need a paycheck, I need to get paid. So I, I, I you guys talk so easy, but you know, I gotta get paid, I gotta make that money, so I, I have to do this kind of shit. I guarantee you, if I spent the day with you, that you're full of shit, and I'll just be honest. If I saw your schedule, and how much you watch Netflix. Mm. Perfect example, coaching client. Mm -hmm. Young kid, working, getting his real estate license, in entrepreneurship school. I mean, all these things. Graduated school in two weeks. This happened Monday. And he's 24, and he's in recovery, and he's, he's a good kid. He's a great kid. He's like, I got four projects to do. I really don't want to do them. I've got three weeks left. I said, why can't you finish those projects today? I mean, I got to sleep. and. I I said, I said, I said, you got to sleep. I said, you're 24 fucking years old. I said, drink a bang yeah. and bang the shit out. You know what he did? He banged it out in two days. He's already done. I said, you sacrificed for two days because I'm telling you right now, guys, I'll harp on this till I'm blue in the face. It's a lifestyle. Okay. Right. It's not, it's not like I work on like, dude, every, I just got back from Costa Rica. I take time off and I also work from Costa Rica. You know, I do a little work on Sunday if I want to. I do a little work on Saturday. It's a lifestyle. And I'm telling you right now, your, your excuse of, I don't have enough time. No, it's not important to you. You're, I would love to see your list of priorities. And I guarantee you that Netflix and eating bad and not working out takes precedence over everything else. Yeah. I was 70 pounds overweight. I was a drug addict and an alcoholic. Mm. I don't want to fucking hear it. Because yeah. it's, it's, not, it's not worth it. If you cared about your family enough, you would work hard. And if you cared about what was going to happen to your kids, look, guys, there's 24 hours in a day for everybody. There's no chance. I did it. I waited tables 75 hours a week and was running three Airbnbs and cleaning them myself because I knew there had to be another way. And at the end of the day, I was cleaning toilets at 10 o'clock at night when I got off of work all day because I was doing the 80-20 rule. Okay. And the 80-20 rule is as simple as this. If you make, if you make all your money from 80% of your job, Take 20% of your time and work on something else. And when the 20% outweighs the 80% in money, then you leave the 80% and you just work on the 20. Right. Like there's plenty of time. Like you can do this. And, and now we're in a day and age where you can do anything from your phone and laptop. So it could be as simple as Ubering. It could be as simple as whatever. But what's interesting is I, inter I, I interviewed a couple yesterday and they are live in Nashville, and she's a structural engineer, and, he, and he, he's a real estate agent. They have flipped three houses. You know how much money they put in the deal? Zero. Zero dollars. He found the deal, got with the private money lender, split the profits with them. They did some of the work. They did this three times, and they've made like 80K. Yeah. With no money in the deal. It's not an excuse. You do not need money to buy real estate. It's, it, that's, a BS, that's a BS excuse. Yeah. You can start today. Through that, you can wholesale and have no money in the deal, but just like drive for dollars and look for a property, call on them, see if they want to sell, lock in a price and make 5K, Mike, I, I, we, we, sorry, it's 2021, you, you, there's no excuses. You just no. gotta go to work. Yeah, and I mean, it, to that point, we, and this is not to brag or anything, but it's to prove, like every time I hear people, it, I mean, it, to jump around a little bit, I think the issue that we have also with you don't need any money for real estate is every time you hear somebody say that 
It's usually some bullshit guru or some bullshit fucking, you know, one of these Facebook famous uh, wholesalers that are trying to pitch you some other crap or nonsense that doesn't really work, right? Or it's just some BS, some fictional crap. But we right now have, we have, we're building houses. We have 12 rental units. We have four flips going on. All of the stuff that we've ever done in real estate has been $0 out of our pocket. Yep. Every, every rental that we own, zero out of our pocket. Every project that we're doing, zero out of our pocket. We haven't put a dime of our own money into anything. What we focused on was building out the business, building out the relationships with the people, thinking forward, not thinking right now. You know, and, you know, to tie it back into hard money, like this is something that I wanted to touch on is that hard money loans, one of the biggest downside that I believe people don't pay attention to is that monthly expense of paying the month the more the money loan because now especially when you do one you feel rich right when you get hard money you feel rich because you have access to money and what i see people get into trouble is that they take on one project another project another project because like to your point that's not going on their credit so the other hard money lenders they don't know that how many loans this person has out and the person's like but that's fine all these deals make sense Yes, but now you're probably paying six, seven thousand dollars a month on interest payments. Can you float that? And that's when people get into trouble. That's when people start saying, "Shit, I'm running out of money fast." Because dishing out that monthly expense on multiple projects—it's something people just don't take into consideration. Well, I mean, yeah, it's a perfect example. Look, the market's hot. That's great. But let's say that there's a snag in construction, and let's say it took you three months to remodel instead of two. Mm -hmm. Let's say the market, the house sits on the market for, you know, it's going to take 30 days to sell. So let's say it sits on the market for 60 days instead of 30 days. You've added on another two months of payments. Okay. And what if that happens with three or four houses, then your timeline is officially a completely off. Yeah. And, and, and so the flow of money coming in and money coming out needs to be something that is extremely protected because, you know, you can't over leverage yourself enough where the last thing you want to do is put in all the work and want the guy to take the house back. And, and, right. and to be honest with you, I don't care. Maybe there's some sleazy ones out there. They don't want the house either. No, of course. <laughs> they don't want the house either. Trust me. Um, I know my company, we had a lot of REOs and we hated them. Like, I mean, you're talking about mid project on a million dollar thing and you got to spun up a crew. And I mean, it's a nightmare. You know, we don't, yeah. that's not in the bit. That's not the business that we're in. Yeah. And and so, you know, they would partner with people and 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 you know, cut deals and stuff and and yeah. and at the end of the day, um my suggestion to everybody that's listening out there is find somebody in your local market that you believe has core values and stands for something and go add value. I tell you, I tell you a story I always tell the great kid, 23 years old, just built like 40 houses in Nashville. Wow. Um he was working at Verizon. Mm -hmm. And uh, his dad like said, no, you're going to go learn this trade too. And so he was sweeping driveways at new construction houses. And um, like this guy like took him under his wing and kind of showed him the business. And he told me a story that was so amazing. So he used to ride in the truck with the GC, the guy that built the house, has been doing it for like 30 years, very skilled guy. And he used to hear him on the phone like, hey, you know, like Monday we're going to start on project on, you know, nine, six, 
uh, Elm Street, whatever you mm-hmm. want to call it. You know what he would do on his Sunday? He would go get his truck. He would go hook up the Bobcat at the other job site and bring it to where they were going. The guy never asked. Mm-hmm. And so they wouldn't have to waste an hour getting the Bobcat on Monday morning. It was already there. Right. Right. Like, I, how, how about doing something that nobody asked you to do? And then guess what? That guy mentored him. He even funded his first deal. And now he's built 40 houses at 20. And so like, what value are you adding to people? Like, are you willing to put in the work? And that's the issue, right? Is that the way a lot of people look at it is the same thing that we just said. They, one, they don't take control of their personal finances. And I think that is by far by far the biggest problem that there is. You have no control of your personal finances, so you feel like you're always broke, right? And that is something that, to me, it's like, oh, well, I need, I need money. I need to do this. I need to do that. It's like, how bad do you want this? Well, really bad. Then start getting rid of shit. You know, like, I believe everybody, you know, we're, our time is in a glass of water and the glass is always full because every minute of your day is always accounted for one thing or another. So if you want to do something, you got to figure out how much water can you pull out of there for that something that you want. And that is something you're sacrificing. Even if it is Netflix or just like I give the example of just sitting on a chair looking at the fucking wall, right? Whatever it is, but your time is being accounted for every second of the day. You need to take inventory of the time. You need to take inventory of your money. You need to take inventory of all of that to determine, all right, where am I going to start cutting back? Where am I going to start sacrificing for these dreams of mine so I can live that life that I've wanted to live, that life that I feel I deserve. But whenever you talk to somebody about sacrifice, you lose them. You know, if you're not giving them that rah-rah, you know, pump up and all that fucking Wolf of Wall Street nonsense, you know what I'm saying? That it's like just all this fluff, all this crap and not telling them like, no, it's going to be work. It's going to be sacrifice. You're going to not like it. You're going to be taking a fucking bobcat over to the project because it's the right thing to do. You know, even though you're not getting paid to do that. They don't, they're like, oh, no. That that kid is the one that sold me the deal that we're flipping and they're collecting a $60,000 wholesale. He's making, and you know what question he asked at closing? This (laughs) happened to him twice, by the way. I could tell you even better story. Do you have anything else? That's all he asked. So I'll tell you the story about him. He bought a duplex for like 35 grand in South Nashville, like Murfreesboro. And he, he asked the seller, hey, do you have anything else to sell? Mm-hmm. He goes, you're not ready for it. He goes, you're not ready for it. He goes, I am. Let's talk about it. Mm. He goes, well, I own the entire street of 13 duplexes. Like, yeah, we'll take him. You haven't even seen him. I don't care. So long story short, somebody else tried to buy him, but they went, they drove all the way to Kentucky mm-hmm. and sat in this guy's living room and his girl, his fiance was there, his wife was there and they talked to him for like three hours and he, the guy offered him a hundred K more than they did and he wouldn't sell to him. He sold to them because they went to Kentucky in his house. So he bought the deal for 300 K. He put 300K in and it got valued at 1.2 million. Oh. Because they nice. took the extra effort, asked one question. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything else you're willing to sell? And then drove three hours to sit in that guy's room. The same way 
guys, if you don't know, I live in Georgetown. Same way I drove two hours to be here because it's important to me that I'm here for John mm-hmm. and I love what they're about. I, when I met my mentor, I flew across the country to Sacramento for a 15-minute meeting. How bad do you want it? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I, I, do, uh, I do kind of consultation calls and, and meetings with people now to, you know, to help them get unstuck because sometimes you need an outside perspective. And this comes from personal experience because those are the things that have worked for me. When I'm stuck, I try to get an outside perspective, right? And, but this is the first time this guy, he's starting off, uh, you know, he, he's been in real estate for a while, but he's still kind of starting. Um, he was a real estate agent, but now he's starting pretty fresh. And he says, well, one of the last questions he asked me, what is one of the things that people always do wrong? I was like, the fact that you're willing to ask that question is impressive to me because you are just starting and you're already curious as to, you know, what can I learn from other people's mistakes? And what I see with a lot of people, especially the younger ones, is they, I don't know if it's ego or whatever it may be, but it's that, you know, I need to do it. I'm going to, you know, I, I don't care if you made him. You're probably an idiot. Well, you know, and my thing is like that ego, that self, you know, and people say, oh, it's not that. It's just that I'm, I'm very confident in myself. No, it's the ego. Because if you're not willing to learn from other people's mistakes, you're just not willing to learn. Did I talk to this lady? She's doing everything that I dream to do. She is one of the most impressive. The only person I've ever met that has more things going on than me. She's yeah. like 50 or like 30, 50, 45. I hope you didn't hear that. Sorry, Jen. I don't know how old you are. Uh, but she was the top 100 mortgage broker across the country for 39 straight years. She owns six businesses, TV show, three podcasts. She's a boss. Mm. And she wrote a book that she's about to release and it's called Shut the Fuck Up. <laughs> Where we are. I even admit to it in my 20s. Oh, man. Talk less, listen more. Mm. Everybody is talking. Yes. Let your results do the talk. And it's what I finally realized after 38 years. Marketing is really easy. You want to know how? Just talk about your results. What have you actually done? Mm-hmm. If that's your marketing and they're backed up by facts, it doesn't matter. Well, people ask me, how, how is it that you build, how do you find your private money lenders? I do exactly that. I show my results. I've showed my results so much that I have people come to me to lend me money because they see the results. I don't need to pitch anybody because they see that I can back my shit up. And that's what I try to tell people that, you know, especially with social media and everything, don't use it to post dumb shit or, you know, inspirational quotes, like show your work, show that you're putting in the work, show that you're, you know, you're learning and you're understanding the process and you're doing all these things, show it. Because that's what's going to get you the money. That's what's going to get you the resources. That's what's going to get you the right partnerships. Everything that you need is going to be showing people that you know what the hell you're doing. Yeah. And the problem is, that's why whenever I see somebody, like I see so many people always posted on Facebook and everything, they're checks. Look at this check. Look at that check. I'm like, what the fuck you have a check for? I have my title companies wire me the money. Like, that's the dumbest fucking thing ever. You're just creating extra work for me <laughs> for no damn reason. <laughs> And they do that shit because they want to flaunt it. They you know, want to show like, look how you know, cool you know I am. You know what some guy did the other day? Like posted like two, like for you, man, like great wholesale. I'm really happy. Like I, I, I 
talk to the guy on Clubhouse. But he posted like two uh, wholesale transactions, like 12K and 16K. And he was like, even the little ones matter. And I uh, thought to myself, like, bro, that's bro, that's like twenty four thousand dollars. Like that more, that's what more people make in like a year, and you made it in like one day. Like even the little ones matter. Like what a fucking douchebag. Like, exactly. That 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 level of arrogance is so fucking gross. That is just, and that's the problem. Is like it, it makes other people that are insecure and everything just second guess themselves and doubt themselves because you're you're paying attention to that bullshit. That's like, guys, there's no fucking. F- any substance to any of that those people that are making especially those quick flippers those quick wholesalers those people that are looking for that quick profit they're not going to be here much longer you understand because they're not learning how to build an actual business they're not learning how to actually be investors and an investor does whatever makes sense they're looking at the market they're looking at the data they're looking at the customers what's being moved what's being done and they're willing to put projects in place that are going to generate a profit later, right? We just bought a package deal that right now it's, you know, a lot of people passed on it because it doesn't generate a whole lot right now. But in about, we calculated in about three to four years, it's going to generate over a million for us. You understand? And it's like, nobody has the patience for even that. And it's like, that's insane. You just passed on a deal that right now doesn't cost you any money, but it's also not going to make you any money so people are passing up on it and i'm like i'm just like you're not you have nothing in place i I interviewed a kid yesterday he's 27 years old he bought his first house when he was um he bought a five thousand dollar house in uh his rural rural town in like missouri Mm -hmm. he owns three mobile home parks and he's like (laughs) he owns like you know 68 units and they don't live off of any of that he's an agent him and his wife live off of like their their income, the real estate. They don't touch it. He's gonna he's literally gonna be financially free in two years, because he doesn't give a fuck what people are wholesalers are making. He doesn't care mm-hmm. if people are buying. Yeah, he wants to buy apartments, but mm-hmm. he understands that like where he's at in his life and where he lives currently, these make sense. And he's like, you know what's awesome about mobile home parks? My tenants, the average stay. By the way, I'm going to get in the mobile home park. I already told my business partners we're going to do one. One of the reasons we started a construction company is because we can't stand the price point of houses. Mm-hmm. And we're going to generate a rent-to-own model, uh, you know, affordable housing in, in Kansas or Missouri. It's like one of my big passions. But his average tenant was 10 years. And they have ownership. Wow. All I own is the dirt underneath. And he's like, and they care about it. And they police the community themselves. How old is he? He's 27. (laughs) When I hear those stories of people like that, um, I'm like, that kid is, those kids are going to fucking kill it. They're going to own this world. I'll do you one better. I'll do you one better. I'll do you one better. One of my best friends in Arizona. Mm -hmm. His dad is an extremely hard worker, was a little bit of an entrepreneur. And he didn't like college. He didn't like high school. Not going college i want to work i need to work yeah so he's like well i don't i don't want to go to college so i'm gonna get my real estate license by 18 he gets his real estate license and long story short they put him in cold calling in the back and like he's in the office like cold calling well long story short one of both of our mentors lives in arizona great dude this dude does 85 wholesales a year 100 flips and a 40 million dollar brokerage with no marketing he's a fucking savage right but he's a very interesting character he said, this son, of, this son of a bitch used to show up in like flip-flops and like, you know, like shorts at like 11 o'clock and he would sell like six houses a day. And everybody's like, what the 
fuck is going on? But he found this kid and he's like, hey, dude, you need to come work on my team. Like, be around winners and like, I'll teach you. Like, there's something you have. And so at 19 years old, my friend Ryan Zolan was managing 15 agents at 19 years old. Oh. And he was managing guys that were like 40 and stuff, right? Okay, long story short, he starts his own brokerage, then starts wholesaling two years ago. Mm. Kid is 23 years old. He's flipped six houses. They do like 50K a month. And he's like bought his house cash like at, at, at 23, 22 years old and just bought another business, a staging company. And you know what he cares about? None of the flat. None of it. Yeah. He goes out every day, puts in work, lives on his accord. And you know what's interesting about him? He sees that I travel a lot and he's like, yeah, so. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. he's like, he's like, maybe it'll be me at 30. But he's like, right now, I'm just like happy. I love what I do. Man, that, that level of self-awareness at that age. And I think that's what's crucial, right? Is most people don't know themselves, don't know what they want, what really matters to them. And yet at the same time, they don't want to put in the work. To I'll give you a line. Mm. Somebody said it in our podcast. It was one of the most powerful things I ever, I ever heard. Make sure that you're not living somebody else's injected values. Mm. Meaning, meaning, yes. meaning on social media, yep. it, they might value that, but that doesn't mean that you value that. So don't try to live somebody else's life. Yeah. But, no, it, but that's the thing, right? Nobody takes the time to figure out what is it that I value? What is it that makes me tick, that makes me move? Nobody takes the time to figure that shit out. And that's why you end up seeing so many people that are so frustrated, so angry, so much anxiety, so much pressure from life. Because you feel like you need to kind of keep up with the Joneses, right? Yeah. And it doesn't matter what industry you're in or what you do, everybody feels that way. Because you're always measuring yourself up to other people. And, I, and I'm not talking about they do that. I do that too. I mean, we're all you know, subject to that. We all look at somebody and we're like, what the fuck? Yeah. Where, where am I going wrong 100%. on this? Um, so it, it messes with your head and it messes with all that, which is why I believe so much that it's like you got to spend the time and you got to sacrifice, I guess, if you would call it, your all the shit that you do now to create that better future for you. Because, I mean, a kid 23 years old, that self-aware, what the hell aren't you going to do? I, I think the only risk he has is that he ever gets too cocky for himself. Dude, you he's know? got I mean, literally 60 years. It's insane. I love it. It's insane. Now, uh, what is... Let's talk about the, the hidden fees on hard sure. money loans. So, because this is something that not many people talk about. So, everybody focuses on the like two points and 11% or three points and 12%, right? And they're like, okay, that's the hard money loan. But there's more to that. A lot of hard money loans, they want you to have skin in the game, right? So, what is what does that look like? And then, what are these hidden fees that come about that? Most people are not accounting for that. It's not included in that three points and 11%. You're going to pay the appraisal up front, five, 600 bucks. You're going to pay a loan origination fee, which typically is a percent or, or a set fee. You're going to pay the closing cost. So these are the things that people... Now, if you have a good hard money lender, mm -hmm. and you should, this will be broken down in a spreadsheet. And typically they'll highlight the charges of the fees. And I would hope that you would ask them to explain what each of these fees mean. Um, and, and that's super important, but those are things that you have to account for. 
And what about like uh, draws or any other fees that so, may so, be coming up? Yeah, so you have a you have like I think if I'm not mistaken, it was like a couple hundred bucks for like you know to pay for like financing the draws, you know mm-hmm. stuff like that. So so how a draw works, if anybody doesn't understand that, you would you would turn in receipts for a scope of work done, and then you would hope to receive that money within you know 24 to seven days. So let's say that you lay down the tile. And then you lay down the hardwood, like you would send them the receipts from the contractor and then they would reimburse you. So that's what people don't understand Mm -hmm. is that you have to have the cash available to outlay that work um, as well. And if you have a good contractor, he'll front the money. But but if you're not doing that, no, it's going to be you. Yeah, man. Most contractors can't even front the labor costs to their own employees. You know they can't they can't even manage labor for a week. I mean, yeah. our, most of our contractors they want that that check almost damn near every single week because they can't even fund for their their own labor. It's yeah. insane. So you you're taking a loan. How much are you? How are those draws kind of figured in? So you say, you know, I bought I got this house. I got the loan. How much money do I need to have in reserves to be able to? Load it, and when would I get that money back? Here's the great news about this, and I'll teach you a strategy that probably not a lot of people use because they love leverage. We're we're getting, we have a hard money loan on the property we're doing, but we're also pulling in a hundred thousand dollars from a private investor mm. to use the down payment and fund some of the construction ahead of time. And what we're doing there is, you're only paying on the loan what you draw, right? And so let's say there's a $100,000 reno budget. And let's say that you only pull 40000 out to remodel and you fronted the rest yourself with cash. You're only... Look. Right. So that's a strategy too, to not pull everything out. You don't have to pull the entire structure budget, but you need them to close on the property. You know, you need them to like fund some of the construction. So there's a couple different ways that you could do that. Um, but you're, But every time you pull on the draw the dollar amount of the loan goes up and that your monthly payment goes up with it. Right. So so are the is the money lender giving you the money to buy the house up front? Yep. And are they fronting some of the repairs as well? Or are you from day one saying, okay, I got to do foundation in the roof it, or you got to pay it, for that? It depends on how much room is in the deal because okay. if there's a ton of room in the deal, you can finance your draws with mm. the extra room. So that's an avenue to go as well. So you can put that in your percentage and they'll give you the money. They'll put us, let's say they put away 20K to finance the draws. You could do that too. Not done all the time, but, yeah. it, but, it, but, it, but it definitely can be but done. But if you have enough of a margin, yeah. most, uh, you know, hard money Shoot lenders- for the biggest likely. margin. Yeah, <laughs> typically, right? Yeah. Um, what is it something about hard money lenders that most investors just don't know? That they want you to win. They really do. I'm not saying every slimy dude does, yeah. but, but I know my company wanted you to win because we win if you win. And they're really like, perfect example, there was a construction company out of Houston that was building townhomes and, and duplexes and, and large scale, small multifamily. Mm-hmm. They, they took money, they lended, used three different lenders. We were their middle tier lender. So they had a big hedge fund, they had us, and then they had another small guy. They did so many deals with us and at a volume that was sane, like I would say like 20 to 30 million a year, they had a line of credit. They didn't even have to, to do loans. They just said, hey, we need 5 million. 
at this percent. Build a relationship. Prove yourself over time, and it gets easier and easier. Once you've, once you're in the system of a hard money loan, we can close a deal in 24. Like it can happen. I've seen it. Now I'm not saying it happens all the time, but let's say that you find a deal and you're in the system. You've done a couple of deals with them. You can get a deal closed in 48 hours. So I want to do a hypothetical with you. You're pulling a hundred thousand dollar hard money loan, right? It's going to cover some of the uh, purchase and some of the rehab. Kind of your standard 70% minus repairs sure. deal. Um, how much money should the investor have available to himself in reserves? On a, on a regular basis, you're probably going to need to put 8%. I would, I would imagine if I had to guess and probably lend up to 92%. Number, maybe get to 95%. So I would hope that you would have at least three to six months with a, uh, because it's coming. It's coming no matter what. In that scenario, I feel really good about where you're at. Um, there, now, I will tell you this. This is something that we ran into a lot and people don't understand. A lot of hard money guys don't want to fund wholesale fees. Mm. They don't want it to be a common practice. And so let's say it's a sixty dollars or $30,000 wholesale fee. Hard money lender might say no. So the wholesaler might have to catch the deal on the back end. A lot of wholesalers. So be careful. I've seen a lot of deals die because of that. That's very interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. So even they don't want to make it a precedent. They don't want to be like just float, you know, financing deals out there. Like we have a big wholesale fee on our deal. Yeah. We have to explain it. Like we have to say, like, hey, this is such a good deal. It doesn't matter. But but they don't really want to see that. They but they, like they, they don't add that wholesale fee kind of like that's the purchase price. They can or they can't. It just depends on how they operate. But yeah, it's not it's not the greatest thing in the world. They don't love that. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. I did not know that. That that is uh definitely something good to keep in mind. Um what is uh talk about the bridge loans. What's a bridge loan? So I tell you the deal that I have and the best way I can describe it, because through a deal I can explain it easy. So we had a deal, it was my first deal I ever lended on. It was uh, a deal um that a guy brought somebody and he was wholesaling it to them for two hundred K. So it was a thirty three unit, but nine of the units were vacant. They had all the materials, but they didn't have them rented out and they needed a remodel. Mm -hmm. Well, because the, the rent occupancy so low that Fannie Mae wouldn't do a loan on the asset. Mm. So they had a million dollars in syndicated money they needed to get, but they couldn't get a traditional loan. What they had to do, they had to pay 40,000 in points up front. And we lended another 1.35 million to close on the deal. Now, here's the deal. They bought that for uh, 2-1, before they did any of the remodels, it appraised at 2-4. There's already 300K in the deal. We lended the money. They did the remodel, rented it out, raised rents. They refinanced that deal in three months, mm -hmm. and it got appraised for 2-8. Now, hear me out. They were extremely pissed about the $40,000 because they'd never used a hard money guy before. But they wouldn't even close on that asset because nobody was going to lend that money. So they use this as a bridge company. Mm. They've got six hundred thousand in it. So maybe you had to pay forty grand up front, right? But you wouldn't have been able to get the asset anyway. Yeah. And so sometimes you got to weigh the pros and cons of something. And and you got to know your numbers. And that and you know that's something that I don't think a lot of people take the time to analyze. Not the numbers of the net profit that you think you're going to get, but all the expenses throughout the project that you're not factoring in. 
So uh, bridge loans, I mean, I think they are very crucial. There's a lot of deals where they make a lot of sense to do. And yes, they are more expensive, right? Because I mean, there's also typically a little bit more risk on those. And sh such short term, I mean, these money lenders, you got to think about it from their point of view. They are still tying up that capital where it's like, you know, yeah, but it's only a few days or whatever. Oh, but they're still tying up that capital. They want a decent return on it because they're still taking a risk. So what is, um, what's the, is there, because they check your credit and everything, what is the impact to the investor if the hard money lender needs to foreclose and take the project back? What, the what, good news is it's because it's private money. I mean, technically, from my understanding, now mm -hmm. don't, don't quote me on this. Everybody's different. To my understanding, you know, it won't, like they'll just take the asset back. You'll lose all the money and that, so is, you lose that is my understanding. I have not seen it happen in my scenario. So I don't, I'm not the expert on that, but to my understanding, it doesn't affect you like, like a bankruptcy. Would. They just, okay. they just literally take the asset. And they'll take whatever money. So if you fronted money for yep. repairs, yep. if you, yep. all the interest, yep. all that shit is gone. Cause they've just foreclosed on the property. Uh, I mean, I, because that's one of the things I feel a lot of people think about and they're very, cause right now, I mean, we have a private money lender that she called us up and she needs help finishing a project that she lent money on. And the guy kind of took the money and left, you know, and they're like, all right, well, foreclose. And it's like, yeah, you know, obviously she's going to sue the shit out of him personally, but even still, it's like, well, what the hell are you going to probably get out of somebody, you know, you know, but it, it's, it's something to keep in mind. And what is the biggest mistakes you see investor make? when it comes time to getting a hard money loan? I think the biggest thing in general with hard money and investors is they haven't seen a deal through. Meaning, I see this in my coaching clients all the time. There's monies in nine different areas instead of closing the loop on a couple deals. Mm. Like, understand, like, maybe start out with one and go to two. And maybe if you get to two, get to three. Time. But, like, let's close out some deals. Let's see it from start to finish until we start the next one. You know, Understand the cadence, understand like the flow of a deal, understand that everything's not going to go like it is. And like, just make sure that you're just not getting too far ahead of yourself. Well, even with partnerships, I think uh, a lot of people make those mistakes again. Let the so business partnership. run to scale. Let, let, mm. let the flow of business and the need for it yeah. create the scale in your business, not that, the other way around. That you force the scale on it. Yeah. And then, and, and well, when I see people partner, they partner and then all of a sudden they're, you know, they start a deal. Then another one comes about let's take that and then another one comes about and it's like hold on you know like you just started partnering with this person and it might be you're partnering with a contractor you're partnering with an investor you're partnering with a money lender but you haven't seen a full deal to completion Agreed. to expect you know create that much tension in your own business and everything with somebody that maybe shouldn't be partnering with you know and this does come from personal experience we partner yeah. with a contractor on a project and then another one came up and another one came up and we jumped on them because everything was going good. And then towards the end of that first project, we started seeing the real shit come about <laughs> and we were already tied into two other projects. We we're like, ah, oh. yeah, no, I agree you know, yeah. and fortunately, John and I both have the experience that, you know, if we need to, hey, kick rocks, we'll finish this, yeah. you know, but many people don't get into that and they don't understand that. So what's the best way to use a hard money loan? Make sure there's a ton of room in the deal, you know. Right. Make sure that make sure that you know your numbers the best you can, and plan for the worst and hope for the best. Meaning, meaning if I 
here's the difference between me and most investors. I got about six. Mm. I could wholesale it. I could hold it. I could Airbnb it. I could rent it. I could partner with somebody. I've got all the extra strategies. Right. And so when I go into a deal, worst comes to worst, like on this house we're flipping, it's two blocks from the Worst comes to worst, I get a couple of investors to go in, we Airbnb that thing for years and then sell. Yeah. Like I always look at all the exit strategies. Do you have an exit strategy? Yeah. Uh, it's very smart. I mean, it's very smart because we do it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, with every project that we get into, we always have multiple exit strategies. And, uh, you know, and that's also kind of the problem with, with a hard money loan is that at least with our private money lenders, if there is a problem, you know, we can sit down and talk to them and be like, hey, let's restructure a loan. We're probably going to just hold on to this because the market shift, whatever may happen. The hard money loan, you know, most, most hard money lenders are not going to give a fuck. Like if something goes south, it's like, dude, you're still on the hook for that loan. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, I mean, those are things that you got to make sure you keep in mind. So, I mean, we, we covered a lot. And what, what is some tips, I guess, or questions or, or a vetting process for hard money lenders? So if you're going around, you're talking to hard money lenders, you have, you know, these really new ones with these amazing, what seem to be amazing terms versus these older ones that don't seem to have such amazing terms because they want you to prove yourself. What are some questions? What are some things that you need to keep in mind and ask them? to determine like, who do you want to build a relationship? I think the, I think the, the greatest hard money lender is somebody in the middle. Mm -hmm. I think, I think I'd be care. I'd be, I'd be scared if the terms were too good and I'd be scared if the rates were too high. Right. I, I, I think, I think you, you go to your local RIAs and I think you, your meetup groups and you ask who they use. Talk to somebody that's used somebody for a couple of years, who, who does what they say they're going to do and ask the questions. What are your terms? What are the points? What are the fees? And then also say, like, what typical projects do you lend on? Do you have any success stories that you can? And I think th that part is where the crucial part comes in is you can ask them all these questions and they're going to give you the sales packet, right? But what matters is when you tell them, who have you lent to? Who have you done deals with? Oh, give me a group of investors, you know, a certain number of investors. And actually calling and those investors. And if, and if they're scared to just show you who the investors yeah. are, run the other way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there, there, there's a big red flag. But yeah, but actually call the investors and ask them, hey, you borrowed money from this lender. How was it? What were some things that maybe they didn't disclose to you? Yeah. What were some challenges maybe you did face? Because I mean, I've had it where I talk to investors and they tell me, you know, yeah, it took them like three weeks to get the draws back out to me, you know, and I had to float the project during that time. And it, it was a, a huge problem and they had to get into credit cards and all this shit yeah. just to be able to front it. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's a big freaking deal. So, I mean, you've answered all of my questions with hard money. Now I wanted to ask you the, the fun part for me is talk about your podcast and what it is that you're doing in your business right now. So, because you've, you've changed, you're not doing hard money loans. Um, you, you're still a real estate investor, but I mean, it seems like every time I talk to you, you have, you have so many shit going on. So it's like, what is it that, how has your life evolved from when you started, you know, how many years ago did you start in real estate? Uh, you know what? It actually just came up yesterday. I closed on my first house, uh, five years ago. 
five years five ago. years ago yesterday actually i it's just insane. saw it on facebook yeah it's crazy how far you've come in five years yeah you know what's wild my my one my one year anniversary for my podcast is and i was thinking to myself like man um you know what's interesting is i figured out a lot of what i don't mm. i feel like that's what this five years has been right there's a lot of things that you you know what's interesting i always use this quote about because i love music i used to work in the music be careful with the song you write because you might be singing it the wrong way. <laughs> Powerful. <laughs> be careful what you really want because you might be standing out the I thought I wanted to what I wanted to when I got out there in 27 properties in the States, I I was upset and I was and then I realized that it was my doing that got me. And so I I prescribe to a lifestyle. We we still do Airbnb for certain projects we do places that i want to be and a big old lakes colorado and i've just realized that i've tried so many things that i've realized what i wanted i've been extremely self-aware of what i bring to the table and i only operate i'm not your spreadsheet guy i don't care about the nuts and bolts of the construction even if i know them enough but i'm the i'm the sales and marketing guy i'm the guy that gets everybody's energy on the company i'm the guy that gets attention and when you can partner up with like-minded individuals who can highlight the weaknesses that you have and highlight your strengths to allow you to operate in the space that you, that's where you. And I think the best advice that I can give people is that the number one word that nobody understands in society is and because they haven't defined it for themselves. Stop defining your success off of what other people want and define it off of what it looks like to you. And be careful that the life that you dreamed of and wanted, you're not currently living already. I read a book recently, Jordan Peterson. So he's a very interesting guy. Um, but one of the things that he talked about in the book that I think is very crucial, he says, don't compare yourself to others, compare yourself to who you were yesterday. He's like, if you do that, you're going to live a much happier life. If every day, all you, your only job is just to be a little bit better than who you were yesterday. That's it. They're like That's your only measurement. Because you cannot measure your success or anything that you have by other people because you don't know their truth. You don't know their lives. You don't know their resources. You don't know what the hell is going on in their life for them to have that. But if you're using them as a measuring stick, you're always going to be living in chaos. Right. So that, that is so crucial. And what, what's the name of the podcast? Called Construct Your Life. <laughs> That's what I like about it <laughs> because it's so perfect. Because to your point, you're constructing your life, you're building it, and you need to take ownership of that you are in charge of your life. All the bad shit that happens to you, still kind of your fault. You know, you still, you got to own it because it, when everybody feels that, that victim role, which is, it bothers me. And then, and people always misunderstand what I mean by this because they say, oh, I didn't have control over, you know, getting cancer. Oh, I yes, okay. What I'm saying is that as a victim, there is nothing you can ever do about something. But when you take ownership of something, now it's all in your control. I agree. Now everything shifts, right? And what your podcast is, I've listened to a few episodes already and I strongly recommend it because the conversations that you guys have on there is they're so powerful because they go into that 
mindset, which is where most people are lacking. You know, a lot of people are so worried about strategies, tactics, you know, what, how, how am I going to buy Airbnbs? How do I scale this? Look, the strategy and tactics are fucking everywhere. Useless. It, it doesn't matter. What matters is this. How is it that two people can start at the same time, yet in the course of five, 10 years are in completely different directions? And they had the same resources, they have everything. It's a mindset. You know, it's that mindset that's going to get you there. And, and that's what I love about your podcast is that, is it everybody business related or do you kind of have a mixture of everybody? Everybody. I try, I'm trying to get, trying to get off of the real estate a little bit. And I try, I like everybody, you know, healers on, I've had doctors on, I've had everybody. I mean, at the end of the day, you either see an obstacle as an opportunity to get better. Mm-hmm. And when you can shift the perspective and everything becomes an opportunity. Live in that world and you live in your daily habits. I... And what, what are you getting into now? What are you working on? Uh, something you might want to share. So we're doing a construction company. It's something I've dreamed about for like a year. I see a real need price point that construction is expensive and everything. So we're launching a construction company. I wish I had more details. Um, it's all new. We don't even have a fucking name yet, uh, <laughs> but we've already sold two houses. So, so like he said, don't worry about the strategy. Just yes. figure it out. We'll worry about the name later uh, yes. because nobody, we, we came up with a name and the other two business partners uh, really hated it. So uh, uh, the marketing guys lost on that, on that scale, but you know, we'll, we'll get it done. And, and, you know, we're just out there trying to impact people and, 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 and have conversations like this and, everybody i can't i can't thank y'all enough for having me in i love what y'all are about and and, uh, and i appreciate you i appreciate your time you've recommended uh, a few books and i'm gonna put them on the show notes everything we talked about is gonna be on the show notes um but i mean i think that you are a wealth of knowledge i think you are a wealth of experience that anybody that has the privilege of being able to talk to you or listen to your stuff or connect with you in any way is going to greatly benefit from it if they're willing to listen, you know, and, and to make that meaningful connection with you. Because, I mean, I believe that, you know, just the time that I've known you, the amount of shit I've learned from you and your, your mindset and the, the way that you think has helped me a lot, you know. Yeah. So uh, yeah, having you on here and I, and I want to have you back because I, I believe like touching on the hard money and everything was something I wanted to talk about because I feel like it was something that was very, you know, yeah. necessary and missing in the industry but the stuff that i really want to talk to you about is that business coaching that you do and that all of those things so you know i would like to have you back on at some point and cover all those points so with that being said sir um where can people find you uh so easiest place austinlinney.com we went a long time i just saw the time. yeah jesus christ uh but uh, instagram Austin Linney. Shoot me a DM. I swear to God, I'll respond. I respond to everybody. So there you have it. There you have it. All right. So connect with Austin, ask questions, reach out to him. This guy is a wealth of knowledge. Tap into it. How bad do you want it? So thank you for watching and we'll catch you on the next one. Thanks guys.